Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Toro. Golfers get custom fit clubs for longer, straighter shots. Now using the adjustable technology on Toro's new Green Master 1000 Series Walk Green Mower, superintendents can dial in operator performance for precise, consistent cuts. The Green Master's telescoping handle has five different positions, so the operator's posture will be as perfect as a tour pro's, whether he's tall and skinny or short and husky. And the handle's rubber mounts have just enough cushion to prevent any hand movements from influencing the cut. Sounds like Toro solved the mower yips. Maybe they can fix the putting yips next. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. We are back for another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I was joined by Superintendent at Cedar Rapids Country Club, Tom Feller. Tom is a great guy. He's been there for just about 18 years now and has done a ton of work transforming Cedar Rapids uh, since he got there. They've made huge strides. Recently, were uh, noted on a list of the five best restoration projects in the last uh, few years that I saw on on golf.com. Tom joins us. Uh, We talk about a ton of stuff, his background, how he got into it, and then his work at Cedar Rapids and some of the unique things they've done from tree management to also flood management and um, just his general kind of practices. So, you know, again, a special thanks to Toro for making this superintendent series possible. Excited by everybody's support and positive messages about the first one with Alex Beeson Crone that aired last month. Uh, we'll continue to have this be a monthly thing, and we're excited to interview more and more superintendents here. So without further ado, here is Tom Feller. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. What uh, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? I don't eat breakfast. Really? No. What did, what do you? What I do wait. You? I have a sixteen hour fast until lunch. No way. Daily, yes. What time's lunch? Eleven to twelve. <laughs> so you get your full hour in. Yes. What uh, what do you, do you drink coffee then in the morning? I do drink coffee, coffee and water. Coffee and water. Yes. It's like a and then so you only eat lunch and dinner. Exactly. Really works for you, huh? I'm not sure it works for me, but I'm doing it. People say breakfast <laughs> is the most important meal of the day. Maybe. Do you like breakfast food? Not necessarily. No? No. Man. Eggs just don't agree with me. So, you know, I walk by it every morning to get my coffee in the convenience store and pass right past the, the egg biscuit. So you get coffee at the convenience <laughs> store every, I do. Mor- every morning? Every morning. Same one? Same one. Same, roughly the same time. 
at roughly the same time. It has it changes a little bit in the winter time. Okay. <laughs> so, so they know you there. They do know me there. Okay. Yes. That's yes. A, it's a block from my house. I should make it at home, but it's just too easy to stop and get. Yeah, it saves you ten minutes. It, it, for sure, it does. Yeah. And at that time in the morning. <laughs> yep. You're spending what you would be eating for breakfast. Exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, how often do you walk uh, the golf course? During the you know season, at least three times a week. I uh, I find that it just first of all it gets me some exercise, which I enjoy. I can kind of follow up my staff in the morning as they go out, check on things. Uh, you know, I can check on what is happening that's going right and what's happening that's going wrong, basically. Um, you have like a time that you walk? I do. So normally we'll start the crew. Uh, my assistant will start the crew and then we go, we normally, I'll normally go out like 6.30. And I normally go, I'll change it up, but a lot of times I go backwards because I follow up on what they've gotten accomplished in the morning. Okay, so you, you'll go walk ba- 18. 18 backwards. and go backwards. And you're looking at what they're doing and then other e- stuff. Exactly. And then kind of, you know, helping the, my assistants line up this, the second job for the day. Um, what uh, What's one thing that you've noticed on like one of these walks that sticks out? You know, it's, it's amazing just even the simple things that don't get accomplished. You know, you, you tell your tea service crew or tea service man or woman to fill the divots and pick up the teas and clean up the entire tea complex. And you find that they're just filling half the divots or you follow up your pin setting guy. And, you know, you tell him that, you know, I recommend 10 to 12 feet from the, from the collar, but it's got, you know, he's eight feet from the collar on some certain pins. So you notice things that just, you wouldn't notice it's on a quick drive around on the golf course. Basically it's daily setup. I would say more than anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever like really big. Nothing earth shattering, no. Uh-huh. no. But but it gives you a feel for the golf course. Right? It does. I mean, and I, and I enjoy just I, I enjoy walking just because of you know because I love setup. You know, the, the morning setup, the tee blocks set perfectly, the rakes and the bunkers. You know where they're set around the bunker. Um, you know, there's a set arrangement for everything that we have, and it's just kind of nice to follow up with those kind of things. What's 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 your set arrangement for the bunkers? Typically, the, the rakes go parallel to the fairway okay. and outside the bunker. Outside? And outside, and they should, and normally they'll be on you know, the outside edge of the fairway. So I feel like that's <laughs> kind of a big hot topic. It is. I would agree. Everybody does it a little different. Yeah, along with your membership, mm-hmm. regardless of the rule. <laughs> they will leave them in the bunker, out of the bunker, or across the fairway. It just depends on what kind of shot they hit. Is that your pet peeve, the the bunker rake leaving, the way they leave bunkers? My biggest pet peeve, and all my all the people that have worked for me will say, it's how to set the T-blocks up. I can't, I just, every time we set up T-blocks, and every time I'm on the T, I will at least move a third of the T-blocks. Because I just like to change the setup from day to day. And a lot of times they'll either move them like a foot or two in front or a foot or two in back. And so the guys that are playing every day, I would rather have them play a different golf course every day than the same yardage from day to day. I, I agree with that. So, like, you move them drastically different. I do. And even just sometimes a set, different tees. I mean, just to change the setup. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you, what's the most crazy you've gotten? Have you ever moved one a, a back tee in front of a different tee? I've moved a, I've moved a back tee all the way to the forward tee 
So it'll play from 155 and it'll drop down to 110. And as long as it, you know, from the handicap standpoint, as long as you're the same with the other T blocks, I think you're okay. So that all the other T box would have move, to move up. Move up for uh, also. Yeah. That's, I like that. Yeah. I, I, I just like changing it up. And I, and I, my assistants always give me such a hard time because I'll go set up. I'll even have them set up and they'll get in and then I'll come in, you know, an hour later after walking the course and I'll be like, well, how many blocks did you move? <laughs> so it's just one of my biggest pet peeves. It, one of the best things is to have day-to-day variety. I agree. And it's amazing because people are creatures of habit. They just hate change. Do you ever get members that push back when you move something way up? Oh, we've had comments on it. Like must, you know, either, you know, especially on tee blocks, if you move them to a different tee, they'll be like, well, it must have had a new guy start today where I was the one that did it, you know, uh-huh. um, I mean, those, those type of things. But the pin placements are what they really get. You know, if you get kind of crazy with the pin placements from day to day, they they'll comment on that, how it must have been a bad night last night for the superintendent, you know, <laughs> it's, it's... no, no, you know. <laughs> It's a, everybody's always got an opinion. Yeah, they, exactly. And most people that are members of country clubs are very successful in life. So they, you know, they're used to being the opinion that matters most in most of their life's activities. I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> how, how did uh, you get into turf and uh, becoming a golf super? Did you, were you a golfer growing up or? So I grew up uh, in small town Iowa, northeast corner of Iowa uh, in Wacan. And we grew up a block away from the nine hole golf course that was in town. And I basically was the superintendent's nightmare up there. I was out at six thirty in the morning playing in the dew, wondering why the greens weren't cut, wondering why he aerified greens one day. So I started with that and then went from, you know, the time when I played, played high school golf from my freshman year on and then, uh, worked in a city park just for something to do. And so I just loved working outside. And I started working in the park when I was 15 and worked actually till my second year of college until um, I moved out of Wacon and uh, just enjoyed being outside and actually was going to teach. And so I was going to uh, Winona State University for uh, as a math major and got to my final in my third year, through my third year to where I had to sign up for student teaching and decided I didn't want to do it. And so... Actually, I just heard about this turf program down in Myrtle Beach or in Conway, South Carolina. And so I decided to pick up and bolt down to South Carolina and attend Ori Georgetown Technical College. Ah, yeah. You were always an early riser. Always an early riser. Being now where you were the person that was out with the crew early and you know wondering why stuff wasn't mowed and everything, in terms of how you would communicate with membership that wants to get out early or golfers. Say you were a, a public course and golfers that want to get out early and push. What kind of effect does that have on, on your crew? If, if you're, you know, I, being I disrupted. Yeah. I won't, I won't even say what, <clears throat> I won't say what it has to do with the crew as much as what it has to do with the membership because they're just not getting, they're not getting the conditions that they deserve. If we're getting pushed, on the golf course too early. So, you know, they're out playing and the bunkers aren't getting raked. We can't stay ahead of them with the greens moors. You know, I live, when I lived in Myrtle beach, I worked at a, a resort course called Arcadia shores. And I mean, we were one hole ahead of the golfers all every morning that we worked there and they just, 
don't get the quality. You just don't get the quality that they deserve is the way I feel. Now I realize there's a definite revenue base there versus, you know, we have a dues base. So it's like for a private club, I think you deserve better. And for some people, if they're like, they got stuff going on at home, they're just the mission of the round early in the morning is just to get done as fast as possible. Absolutely. And we still have trouble. I mean, we, we, they start at six thirty here on Saturday mornings and we'll have guys get done at nine. So you guys so, are starting in the dark. Oh yeah. Like four, or five, five, five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And we run off the front and back just to keep ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do you live in Myrtle beach then? I was there two years. That's uh, so, how, how was that uh, working down there? Did you then come back up to? I did. Midwest? So I went from uh, Myrtle beach to uh, Quincy country Quincy, club okay. in Quincy, Illinois. Yeah. So what was it like, you know, with Bermuda and obviously, you know, Myrtle beach, the probably most rounds per capita of any place in the world. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I w- first of all, I was there when hurricane Hugo came through. So we had, you know, a thousand trees and I went down. I mean, it was a whole different ball game. The first year I was there was prior to, prior to Hugo. And, uh, you know, it was a little more enjoyable, I would say, but you still are dealing with Bermuda. We had old Pencross bent grass greens, um, that were just struggled. You know, you had issues, salt water issues, salt issues in the water. Um, you had, it was just, and Bermuda was a basically just such a weed. I mean, that's what I figured it was, you know, we'd edge bunkers, and they had, I think, you know, I, I might have this number wrong, but I should know it. It had over 80 bunkers, and they were huge bunkers. And you get done edging them, and you just turn around and start edging them again. It was the most defeating deal on the whole golf course, defeating job. So you were there the two years you were getting the degree. You were working, Correct. and you were going to school at the same time. Yes. What kind of, like, what was your schedule like then? Early morning, then you'd go to school after you were done? or The beauty of their program is they... They basically had you in a job before you even had your class schedule. So you would get your you would get your job, and then you'd work your class schedule around it. Um, I was I had quite a few credits already when I got down there, so I really had a pretty easy life down there as far as school went. Um, so I worked thirty hours a week, and then went to school also. You know, but um, they really the on on the job experience is huge. I mean, I think they really stress that. And, you know, you, I work for a, a superintendent assistant, assistant down there. The assistant was from Storm Lake, Iowa. So that was kind of our connection. So a lot of the Iowa guys went to that golf course. Um, so it was kind of cool. As, as somebody now that hires, you know, young assistant superintendents, different, how do you, how do you value education versus, you know, the, versus you know on the job training versus because obviously we've you've got superintendents that run the gamut of of technical two-year degrees to you know masters sure you know i wouldn't put um you know i had a two-year degree and then i went and finished my four-year degree just from a marquee's just for my own professional i just wanted to do it um just to have it and i would encourage guys now to get their four-year degree just because of the market the way it is. But really from my standpoint, for an assistant, you know, you want them to have at least, I would want them to have at least a two-year degree, but having the work ethic is what I'd really be looking for and being willing to learn. I mean, that's really what I look for. It's, it's not the guy that just wants to come in for 40 hours a week and collect his paycheck and not be able to broaden his horizons a little bit and not see the big picture. I mean, I just want somebody that really wants to dive in 
enjoy what they do and and learn to be able to move on what uh how's you've been here for 18 years um how's the hiring and and labor changed in that time you know i i've from my standpoint i haven't had too many issues uh we've always had i guess i've always had a good assistant base and always have had through my my kids through the high schools have always brought me help it seems like so i've utilized them they're those two my both my son and daughter as a resource to get into the public or into the you know public school system and once you get it moving and they enjoy their job and it just seems like they just want to keep coming in so i've really been fortunate i mean i haven't had up here especially i haven't had any issues with labor yeah i mean what a job outside i i caddied growing up and i would work i our the superintendent of the course I grew up at was always trying to get me to do the grounds thing, but I was I was caddying and working bag room. But I mean, it's nothing like being on a golf course early in the morning, you know. It's the best way to start your day, and like and I'm flexible with the staff. You know, I hire enough guys that you can, you know, you know they got to go on a summer vacation. You know they're going to have to have a long weekend to do things. So I'm flexible as long as we can have coverage for when they're gone, and we make it enjoyable. I mean, I you know I know a lot of the staff that comes in i enjoy them because they come from all you know all different backgrounds and they're you know they're going to college or going to be engineers they're going to be doctors they got all different types of you know professions they're going to go into so it really brings it's really kind of fun to to see them move on in life also mm-hmm. it's it's got to be the seasonality though is tough because then they go back to school and it is i still need work and for sure i mean that's one of the tougher things are you know like the last couple of years, our spring and fall have been such a disaster. It seems like, you know, late spring, early fall. So, you know, you haven't noticed it as much from a, from a, from a plane standpoint. I don't think the membership is known. As, you know, I do, but it's, we don't even have any golfers because, of, you know, the high has been 40 and the lows are 20. So it's like, you just don't notice it. But on a normal season, you'd want to, we need, definitely need more seasonal help. You know, mm-hmm. the, the shoulder seasons, especially. When, when you, go from you know full staff in the summer and you say you lose your your the high school kids and you're a little shorter what what are the areas of maintenance that go from like that are the nice to haves that get kind of cut definitely you know bunkers are probably number one i mean we go from raking them every day to raking them twice a week you know we're spinning them with a bunker rake versus hand raking them uh we go from walk mowing greens to ride mowing uh, you know, I'd say those are the things that you, I notice the most, and especially on our with the green complexes that we have, when you put a rider on them, you almost have to just back up and mow and back up and mow. You can't really turn on them. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, it's causes too much damage to the collars. So you just notice some damage around collar. You just you give up a little bit of the quality okay. when you definitely get to that time of the year. I imagine it's a little bit tougher to get it all the way out to the corners. Too, Absolutely, right? Exactly. So you get run the risk of a little shrink right so in the spring every year in the spring we get out and cut them back out get things back out to the edge how do you keep track of where they were do you do you like have them mapped or is there a way that i'm just i'm very i just mark them i mean i just go back out and i do it probably four times a year okay with this paint well you're walking all the time, and i and know? i see it you know i i'm very active on the golf course uh-huh. i mean i i love being out there and seeing do you play a lot i don't no. <laughs> but I would like to again. At some point, I'm going to. 
mentally you could play while you're walking. Yes, I could. <laughs> it's probably the best way to play golf. Yeah, I think I've played. Uh, I think I played five times last year. So yeah, and I played here twice. So mm-hmm. I enjoy going other places and playing, but I find myself when I play here, it's just too much work. And that's just all I do is think about. Can't believe we missed that. I can't believe you know it's good for you, but it's also if, when I play golf, I like to enjoy the game and. I like to look at, you know, I love to go to other courses and see what they're doing and get the full experience. Yeah. I mean, it's beneficial in the sense of like seeing how the playing surface is reacting, right? Exactly. And how different things are working. Mm-hmm. I would uh, agree. And then, but then going and seeing other people's stuff's good too, right? There's so many, so many good superintendents around and so many good cl- clubs. I mean, it, you know, you never get around to all of them, but it, it, the connection we have with everybody then what's nice about our profession is they always welcome you in so you know you can make a phone call to them and say hey do you care if i come out and see your property and play it and they're like you know just like i am to them you know i love to have them in do you do you talk a lot with superintendents in the area i do and then you help each other out and- oh for sure we, we even you know especially in town and around town we share equipment a lot of times um but just advice on what people have done and you know with social media these days you know, everybody's on Twitter and Instagram. You can see a lot of what's going on. If you notice something that find interesting, I just call them and say, "Hey, what? What? Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you're doing with this?" What What's an example of that? Well, you know, it's it's everything. It's just even way, ways guys airify fairways these days and drag the cores. And I mean, I saw some guy. I think it was Rick Tamar in Des Moines who's using pallets to for a drag mat versus an you know a steel drag map because he said it was less aggressive. It's just simple little things that you wouldn't think of doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you start using the pallet? I did not, but we didn't get our fairways verified yet this fall either. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It I, is. I imagine in terms of Twitter's change and social media has changed the superintendent industry a ton, right? Exactly. Because it's, it's one of those, you know, people lament social media so much, but the ability to share and spread information and knowledge is, is at an unparalleled height now. Oh, for sure. I mean, I scroll through it and you can, do, and you know, you do it in the evenings when you're just kind of bored anyway and just roll through it and, and find something interesting. And it's amazing what you can pick out. Do you go to like the GIS show? Every, I do. Every year? Every year. And then you get to meet all your new internet friends. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know most of them. <laughs> I've been in the business for 30 years. So it's like, <laughs> uh, That's what my wife's like, who, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, just an internet friend. <laughs> you know, it's become like a normal thing. <laughs> it's kind of, it's wild though. It is. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Cause I, I see it. It, it. You just, you learn so much like there are all these you know accounts that pop up and all the old photos and then you see the way people are doing it experimenting with grass types in different parts of the country and it, it's really unbelievable because you know now there's a way to say to see oh this guy's trying this we were thinking about this correct and this guy's trying this or this uh, you know and oh here i can just shoot him a message and see how it's going before you try it and maybe waste a bunch of time. Right. I would, I would agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It makes it, it definitely makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. So it, when you were at Quincy, did you start as assistant there? I did. I and then the, worked yep. your way up. I was the assistant for two years under Randy Van Fleet. And then, uh, Randy left for Merrill Hills 
and then uh, they promoted me to the superintendent. Merrill Hills in Wisconsin. In Waukesha. Yeah. Yeah. I was there this year. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a cool property. It is. He's been there, well, a long time now. Heck, he's been there 26 years, probably. I'm trying to figure out who designed that golf course. It's not Langford, but it's very Langford-esque. Is it? Okay, yeah. I've only been on it one time, and that was early when he first moved up there. As, I don't know. It could be like Harry Smead or Joe Roseman, but it's it's that place got a ton of ton of potential. It's it's neat. Oh, that's um, cool. You should go out there next time you're in the area. Check it out. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Can you imagine a world where you know when you were playing golf, you'd be going down the fairway and there'd be hoof prints all over. I mean, maybe this happens at some courses where they got a lot of wildlife, but this was a common practice back in the early 1900s. Until 1919, Toro built the first motorized fairway mower. It replaced the horse-drawn equipment. And uh, the big thing was it saved a ton of time. So it cut all 18 fairways in only 18 hours. Imagine that, like basically a summer day, you get all the fairways cut. That was all that could get cut. I bet they didn't get cut every day then. But as they've kept it in, kept innovating, they've pushed these agronomic advancements in the industry forward. And today, you know, we're in the uh, golden age of golf maintenance. And much of that's thanks to the innovative turf maintenance equipment and irrigation technologies that have been uh, pushed by Toro. So, be sure to follow at Toro Golf on Twitter. They got a lot of cool stuff. If you're into maintenance, obviously, if you're a superintendent, it should be a must follow. But if you're into maintenance and, and machines and just seeing how uh, kind of an inside look behind the scenes of what goes on at the golf course, maybe when you're not playing golf, I, I highly recommend following uh, their Twitter feed. If you're a superintendent, be sure to reach out to your local Toro distributor to demo the newest innovations from Toro. Now back to Tom Feller. What was it like going from assistant to to head superintendent at a club versus your experience when you went from Quincy here as moving from head to head? What was different about that experience? I think... Th- Time just flew going from assistant to superintendent because you were so. I was so young. I was 26 when I got the job, and I felt like I was just really. In my mind, I was ready for it, but really, I didn't have the experience. So I was learning on the fly a lot of times. And my poor assistant Tim now is the superintendent down there, so he's dealing with a lot of my. <laughs> he's finding a lot of things that I did, but I said, just remember how early in my career that was. But you know. Uh, Quincy was very supportive of everything we did, and you know we didn't really we didn't really change a lot of things. We didn't go in through any real restoration. We did a lot of cleanup, and you know we re redid bunkers, but it was just taking sand out, retiling them, and putting the sand back. And so there wasn't. It's like we were making changes, architectural changes to the course. So um, it was a it was a good job. But I you know I'm I'm definitely a better planner after I moved here. Um, definitely learned a lot it was you know it's it's a whole it was a whole different ball game coming from superintendent to my second job versus the assistant to the superintendent i met what was the was something that you look back and laugh about like that you something you did that or uh, or a process you had that like some of the drain tile i did was just horrendous but um just way too shallow and 
Yeah, I look back. I'm like, Kid. and he's ripping that some of that up right now. So I'm li- I'm hearing it from him. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't find that. <laughs> yeah, a superintendent I know said that he ran into ran into a superintendent that had been at the the club he was at like 40 years earlier. <laughs> And and the guy, the first thing the guy said was, "I'm sorry. I have to apologize. I'm sorry." And he's like, "For what?" And he's like, "I planted four thousand silver maples." <laughs> he's like, "It was my first job. I didn't know what I was doing." <laughs> the club president said, "Plant these," and I planted them. Well, and we had a tree nursery, which the club already had probably. 1500 silver maples so i don't know why we need a tree nursery but we had you one. had a tree nursery in quincy <laughs> Where, was and then like i came the here of the property so I, I could say i learned something because I, then i moved here and we cut down the tree nursery so you know <laughs> so they had a tree nursery here too they did so what was the idea was it you you took saplings or little trees and grew them to a certain height and then moved them and planted them correct in any gap there was Oh my God! Yeah, that was a that was a system here, and Quincy that really wasn't the system. They just wanted us to have trees because they had they just wanted to have us, us to have a nursery because they had so many silver maples, and you know every year you get storms and you lose you know ten or twelve, so they'd want us to plant twenty for those ten, you know, basically. It's, it's a <laughs> crazy thing because for a long time trees were considered like a sign of a country club like the public courses didn't have trees right. <laughs> it was like a nice to have yeah I, I would i would agree so you came here then it would have been 2000 2000 or 2001 2002 2002 january 1st yeah. okay and uh i mean did you want to get back to iowa was there a, you know or was it this job came up and, you know, it was. Yeah, I was just starting to interview. I was in Quincy for 12 years, 10 as a superintendent. So it was time. I f- felt like my family was at the right stage of the game to move my kids. And, you know, I was getting to the point where I just didn't know where else I could go with that with that job. Um, so I was at, I started interviewing at places and actually I interviewed at Asheville in Asheville, North Carolina. So I really didn't have I want to go to a, a nice private country club and uh one without Bermuda. And one without Bermuda. So that was up in the mountains enough. That, you know, it was like 3,000 feet. That was good. It was all bad. <laughs> it was all bad. Actually, they had Bermuda fairways, and they wanted to move to Benton, so that's why they were interested in me. Uh, and then, actually, Cedar Rapids opened up right after that job. So, yeah, I, I figured I was never, ever going to get this close to home. Mm-hmm. So what, what, in terms of, you come to Cedar Rapids, and what's the first year a couple years like are you are you just kind of learning everything about the club like how's the transition into a new club yeah so you know they they really wanted to just they were tired of it being green and lush and just heavily forested you know they wanted some better playability they wanted to dry out um i was always a guy that pushed it to the edge even in quincy i push it way to the edge um so i i think they really wanted better golfing conditions to start with, and then they really wanted to go into a restoration and t- start interviewing architects. So that really caught my interest too, because I like to keep I'm a busy guy. I like to keep busy, with, especially with that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I knew that the turf was it was healthy, it was green, it was lush. I just needed, you know, rework the programs, the maintenance programs, to where we could dry it out. And it was an educational process just to get the membership to understand we're not going to be green and lush anymore. And so you know, I. 
I always said the Browns and New Green. I didn't push it that hard, but they would. They kind of wondered what, where, what route we were heading. So it, I had to do a lot of communication. I would say. What were what <clears throat> were like the agronomically? What were the toughest things that you faced coming in to play and trying to push to get to the, where you wanted it? It was so lush. I mean, I don't know how much fertility he threw on. I really didn't have um, any records of his fertility. But I could not get the plant to stop growing, and so it was almost before you know the the growth regulators were out, you know the good ones anyway. So um, once we could start, once I finally went through you know three years of not for no fertility on fairways, especially, we finally got them to thin out and lean up a little bit. Like was there a lot of thatch in it? Thatchy, organic. And, yeah, so we had to go in heavy irrification, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, just slow the plant down. How, what when you're going through what w- was heavier uh aerification schedule i mean like? for us it was twice a year uh uh-huh. just heavy core aerification big ones and, uh, the big ones you know three quarter to seven eighths inch tines and just and then you just chop them up and blow everything off you know and so you just do that spring and fall is when we would do it did, and how how many years did it take to get to a point where you really felt good about where? I'd say by the fourth year we were we had it pretty much under control, uh-huh. and then we could start going into my own program as far as you know my heavy fertility of maybe a pound a year <laughs> of <Fair>. nitrogen. <laughs> much much yeah, the 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 local fertilizer rep probably was unhappy. No, he was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's the club in two thousand two was pretty ahead of the curve for wanting that type of playing condition. And looking at restoration, what what would you say would you attribute to that? And it, it's you know particularly su- surprising given you know somewhere right across right next to our National Golf Links probably mm-hmm. has a much higher chance to you know that than you know in the central central Iowa where you know there's no landmark club to judge like in many ways Cedar Rapids probably the landmark club that all the courses around it look to. Sure. I would say that had a really strong green committee at that time. Um, they, they traveled well. Uh, they understood that we were the only Ross course in the state of Iowa. Um, they thought that, I don't think they understood it to the way we did it this time, but, um, you know, this pat, this finally getting through the restoration, I don't think they were that far into it, but they understood that we needed to, to get back to that old Ross, look classic feel um and then they brought in brad klein to he assessed the course in like 2000 i think he wrote a pretty strong report on what we could really be mm-hmm. which i think you know probably got people interested anyway for the most part but to be honest it was a greens committee nobody else the membership didn't understand yeah they just felt like it's a parkland setting it's supposed to be soft and slow and it's beautiful it's green it's striped up real nice today you know they just didn't understand what it could be. So, talking through the early days, you come in, you got you inherit green course, very lush, probably lots of water put down on it, lots of trees. Um, you start making changes. What was the initial reaction like? Oh, we had some definite kickback. I mean, there was, you know, why, you know, why aren't you watering? Well, you know, we have an irrigation system. It's, and we, then we put a new irrigation system in 2008, and they're like, you don't even use it. 
I mean, I said, well, it's just the way, I mean, think about how, how it's playing today. We're not killing the grass. I mean, it's, the turf's in great shape. Like you can want it to be, you know, it, it was definitely, I had to improve the communication. There's no doubt about it. We sent out a lot of emails uh, to explain what we were doing because otherwise it just, and the problem is those same people don't read the emails or they don't want to understand it, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, they just, you know, and we removed all the flower beds and I mean, they had a flower bed on every tee in the coming out of the trees. I mean, it was interesting how they had, I mean, they had flowers planted in these holes on the side of trees. So we ripped out the, you know, ripped those up. And just in terms of those flower beds, I just moved into a house and we planted flowers and I had to take care of the flowers all summer. Like it was not easy. Like (laughs) in terms of a maintenance crew, what for flower beds, that's a lot of hours of maintenance over the course of a year, right? Well, you have a full-time horticulturist. And then the flowers on top of that, you know, it's $75,000 a year just in labor and in, in the flowers itself. And I know it's beautiful. You know, we have around the clubhouse, it's beautiful right now, but we're doing it for, you know, $18,000 a year. I mean, that's, I mean, it's in, in the amount of work you could get done with that money on the golf course, which is why everybody joined here. Exactly. Right? Is, you know, it's just huge difference. I would agree. Um, so you sent out a lot of emails. Did you try anything else in terms of communication? You know, did I just be around the membership? You know, I just try to make myself more visible, I guess, during those times anyway. How did it start to change as you guys kept going and you got years into your your work? I did. I started to enjoy the golf course. Uh Like, wow, I'm hitting my drive 250 instead of 200. This is kind of crazy. You know, (laughs) I just, I feel like that's, the game changed for them a little bit. They started to enjoy it and see that, boy, it is making a difference. And then you get a rain and, you know, the rain would green things up, but yet you wouldn't be flooded because of it being too wet. So, you know, as you dried things out, at least you, you could take an inch and a half of rain without any problem because it, the water would just move right through. It wouldn't be already soggy from irrigation cycle after irrigation cycle after irrigation cycle. I imagine that also getting people used to seeing grass that's not really green absolutely know, just where spots aren't perfect it's yep. just you know it's the, almost like the augustification yes of things and uh so uh you guys then underwent doing you know the full-blown renovation and uh what year was it 2012 we approved the plan approved the plan. and then started in 13 what was the process like that you guys went through in in getting to that point before uh, that you were ready to a pick an architect and the club was ready to to jump in jump in so we had we hosted town hall meetings to educate the membership um, I'd say that was our number one communication uh, you know and then just moving forward with trying to we picked out three holes to start with that there were the most visible from the clubhouse so we started on one four and ten um, and that way we figured that would make the biggest impact from from the membership standpoint and then they want to move forward and i think we were correct in all of that yeah it, it, it started small it wasn't none of them were crazy changes either no. right it's you know you and it's like you're kind of getting them comfortable with everything i agree um so in terms of you guys uh were are working can continue to work with ron pritchard and and tyler ray 
what was it about what they brought to the table versus you know the other architects that you looked at that you guys that made you feel really comfortable i think they just you know ron was very good uh when he came in for the presentation um of course his background was excellent the courses we visited that he that he had finished looked be- were great from start to finish everybody we talked to at the clubs that he that he had finished or he had restored were very complimentary of ron um and then tyler you know just being able to work with ron um i think it was just a win-win you know relationship for us Mm -hmm. and we all felt good about the situation with ron and for a guy to come in and just give you his hand drawings i mean it's pretty cool you know in this in today's world (laughs) (laughs) i mean you're not gonna get a lot of computer work out of him but but on the on his drawings were really cool you know Uh uh-huh it's uh it, so you guys went and visited some other Ross courses and a lot of, did you do that with other architects that you looked at too? We did not. Okay. Um, we basically just went off, uh, you know, I think they all drew a hole for us and what they would, what they visioned for a hole on the golf course and presented that to us. And then we ended up going with Ron. Mm-hmm. And so we, once we, you know, visited his courses, that's kind of where we ended up. And in you guys, when about you know you see so many of the the big name restoration renovations now you see the course is shut down for two years and you guys you guys didn't shut down you've done it over four, four years roughly yeah it was you know it was a three year three. but the roughest part was over three years three so you did it over three years and you know you did it for a dollar amount that you know most clubs would you know be amazed at um how how did you guys a do it for such a low cost? I mean, under a million dollars to basically get a brand new golf course. It, I mean, it was a lot of you know. Basically, we started with Tyler being able to shape everything, um, and then my staff being able to be hands on during the whole project. Um, so we did it in the shoulder months of the season, and you know you had to have a membership that understood that. Um, that we're okay with it taking those three years uh, and also understanding that, you know, your maintenance levels are going to be lower because you're you really your number one priority is to get this project completed. Um, so they were very supportive um, during it. So that helped tremendously. And then I think just having a staff that bought into it was enormous. I mean, they, I didn't lose anybody from that full-time staff and really we worked about six guys on the project every day, all, you know, all day. And then we'd have a few more on the golf course, you know, with, they go out and mow greens and change cups and whatever. But, um, you know, I was very, I, I was on the project the entire time myself. I mean, I dug every drainage, every drainage line out there that there is to dig. I did it. Um, I checked it myself. And so then the crew would follow me up on the, with the tile and the rock. And, you know, I had a sod crew. Tim would run the sod crew my assistant, you know, that would come in inside the bunkers and then we'd go in and, and put the put the sand in. You know, that was just one for just a bunker style uh project. That's how we would handle it. So you're talking like you're getting four four or five holes done a year, essentially. Exactly. And yeah. uh We and- well, yeah, I mean the first year we did three yeah, and then we really went after it the spring and you know, we went basically went five and then nine. I mean the last year we really went strong. For the staff it had to be so fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was definitely days. I mean, and we learned a lot through the project. 
just better ways to to manage it and to be more productive than we were to start. So, you know, I remember the first day um, doing doing some shaping and I said, oh, our dump truck will be able to haul all the dirt. You know, we don't need to have a trailer. And then when he got done carving around number one green, I'm like, we need two trailers. I mean, one dump truck's not going to be near enough. You know, it was little things like, I mean, I were just driving up there after lunch and looking at the pile of dirt. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this? So, you know, we had to kind of kick it up a notch on different pieces of equipment that worked out better. But that sounds like uh, when you when you're moving and you look and you're like, oh, we'll be done in like a couple hours. Yeah, and right. then it's like eight hours later and you're like, oh, I've still got a bunch of stuff. left." Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. With with bunkers, how did you guys go about the process of like drainage and and whether you're doing a liner or one of the new you know, better Billy Bunker or, uh, or capillary. So we just, we didn't put liners in, um, being that they're just pretty much grass faced. Uh, they're all fescue around all rhizoctomous fescue around the outside edges. So, and with the flat bottoms, I decided we didn't really need a liner. So basically we just drained them and put, put sand in. Put sand. In. So it's just, it's just, you just got a drainage at the bottom and and no liner correct and it's a local sand uh came from 30 miles away so you know we paid like 18 dollars a ton and a lot of that was based on being in the floodplain you know i decided it's not worth when you have these bunkers flood to then you have to go in and replace the liners you have to bring in sand from wherever you're bringing it in from whether it's pro angle or you know some of these newer sands that they're that are you know, that they're using at these other courses and i'm like i just would rather be able to call and get, you know, 15 tons in if we need it. I mean, probably a fifth of the price of some of those things. Oh, it was, for sure, yeah. I mean, and, and, and then the other thing is it looks like a course from 1904. Exactly. In fact, Ron even commented how it's almost a little too white for him. So, you know, Ron... <laughs> Well, weather, you know, right. you, you right. give it, give it a summer, and it'll be, it'll change the color. Yeah, right? it will. And it, so you just touch on on flooding. Obviously, Iowa is a very you know, floods happen here a lot. You know, you get these epic rainstorms, and and then you got this rolling terrain with the golf course. What are, what are flood events like, and what it, what did you guys do during the? Um, rest or renovation process to address and help some of your flood issues. Oh, we improved our, we installed all kinds of drainage and improved our drainage. And actually a lot of the bunkers really sit in low areas to collect the water and then discharge through the drainage system. So, um, you know, Ron would always find these natural lows to put the bunkers in and, you know, that would help when dewatering the golf course. And then, we have, we still have some swells to put in on a few of the fairways to help dewater also. But you know our typical now our typical water if we if we get a four and a half inch rain and we fill the bottom side fills up because really we have about ten holes that are affected by the floodplain or by flooding. You know they'll they'll dewater in a normal event within twenty four hours and we'll be open for playing a couple of days. I imagine one of the frustrating things from your standpoint with the flood the low areas is that the playing conditions you've got the the property you've got these this great you know dramatic rolling hills up at the top then you go down to the low area in the riverbed and and those those the holes up top probably play so much differently after rain events than than the bottom ones 
They do. In in fact, but over the years, you know, there's been so much sand that has been brought in from the creek that actually they those bottom fairways have been top dressed so much that Natural they actually top they dress. actually play pretty firm <laughs> even after the water. I mean, it's amazing how dry those fairways can get down there now they will get localized a lot because of that because of all the same but they get naturally top dressed every year <laughs> what do you mean by localized so you know basically when you get real dry um you'll get these localized dry areas that just happen and there a lot of it's because of sand top dressing mm-hmm. um so you know you have to go in and airify them and try to get some weighing agents on them to help push water through those profiles i gotcha that's uh it's inter- the natural, it's almost like the floods bring stuff that's good for the it, And it changes, you know, over the years. You know, it's amazing how we put this new irrigation system in, or put the irrigation system in in 2008, and some of the heads now are maybe two inches below the surface because of just the sand and silt over the top. That's crazy. And you can try to sweep that all you want off, but you can never get to the... How has that affected, like, approaches into greens at all? Not as much as I've noticed because most of the greens are elevated enough to, to where it doesn't affect the approach. But it, does, it has affected areas along the creek, and it will affect your normal drainage swales too, you know, that, that help dewater. I mean, those will get kind of filled up, so you have to make sure to grade those back out the way they were. Mm-hmm. And I bet the water, the way different ways water move have changed a little bit, right? Oh, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a, drainage is... It's unbelievable. Really- I mean, you wish you could just... You know, take it. You wish you could have a year to where you could just take a, a dozer and just create some nice drainage area, you know, swales and areas to where you know water sits and not have to worry about putting the turf right back, uh, you know, just, just to help dewater. You guys have done some of those. We have. Um, talk a little bit about the decision to do those. And I, I feel like so many people are, so many clubs are afraid to do something like a area, like a ditch or a, area that you takes the water on yeah so in between seven and, and 11 we did that you know seven used to be real wet a wet fairway anyway and it had a pond but then that's all it really had so we we eliminated the pond and created this this big low that goes all the way back to the to the creek and basically it's set up for when the when the water rises it will fill in but then it will it will flow out when the when the creek goes back down but the fairway stays dry Mm -hmm. so that was a whole objective of that and we have more of that to do and it's worked really well it has so you in in the future that's you know i was on my list here i i've got with that ongoing work um you you guys are going to continue to add more and more of those we are it's and then for most of the year 90 percent of the year it's just a a rough area just a yeah exactly and and for you know there's so many places with flood concerns especially i think about local municipal golf where i'm from and every single golf course was built in a floodplain and when there's big rain all of them flood yeah and it's like none of them have anywhere that takes on the water though you know if you can create those areas i i would highly recommend it and every area of the golf course doesn't have to be perfect i mean it doesn't have to be manicured perfect you can make those areas waste areas um you know you can still play out of them it's just, I feel like when you don't do it, water just sits everywhere that it's not supposed to, or that you don't want it to. It's been more effective than the pond was. Absolutely. Why? Because it can flow out. Okay. You know, the pond will still hold the water, and as the pond raises up and gets flooded, it's, you know, nothing can drain into it. 
So as the, even though the creek will go down, the pond doesn't go down near as fast. And so now it can dewater out into the creek versus be stuck into the pond. Could you build more ways to get water into it also? You could, for sure. That makes because because like with a pond, you can't have it. You could there's only so much earthwork you could do around it, right? Exactly. Interesting. That's a lot of places probably could use. Some yeah, of those. and we could use more of it also. Uh huh. So outside of that, what what else? All right, you're you know ongoing work. I imagine every time you take a walk, you see seven more things you want. To I do. mean, we still have some fairways to tie in. We still have you know bunker edges, some fairways to tie into the bunkers where. Maybe we, you know, we put the fescue around the edge, the leading edge going into the fairway, but we're now we're going to, you know, reduce that and make that bent grass going into them. Um, still have some trees here and there to remove just to help open up some vistas and, and just for lines of play. Um, we have a bridge to replace. It's a, just a maintenance bridge. It's just unsightly on number 17. Like, that kind of takes away your view from the fairway to the green that we need to move upstream. Uh, you know, still some car path removal. Uh, you know, we really haven't seen, you know, for anybody out there that's scared of removing car paths, really haven't seen much damage from removing the car paths. And you get a I lot mean, of rain. You know, and we've had, and we've had two of the wettest years on record. So, I mean, I just like them to scatter and, and drive wherever they want to, basically. Um, I think it helps and they stay away from the greens and tees, but, uh, you know, we still have some car path removal. Uh, you know, we still, just little things. It's really a lot of minor things that we have to, yet to do. Mm-hmm. What, in terms of the club, had, since you guys have done all this work, you know the golf course has kind of undergone this transformation. Have you seen a culture change with the, with the people around the club? Do they understand more of what you're doing than to say when you started in 2002? Oh, for sure. I think especially in the last few years, um, they're seeing more and more of the changes that have made a huge difference. You know, we, we've seen actually scores go down from the, from the member tee than they were prior to the restoration. So that, that helps. Um, I think just the, you know, the highlights of where we stand today versus where we stood in 2002, um, from ratings and whatnot. I think, you know, people are really proud of to be a member here. Is, have you seen anything from like the way they take care of the course? Is are there do you, are they more mindful of of divots or ball marks or do they is there more walking or is there same amount of cart traffic as you used to have? I'd say that I would I would say it, they've always been really good about taking care of the golf course. Um, yeah, you're always going to have they get more upset if you have an outing, which we don't have, thankfully we don't have a lot anymore. Um, but they'd be upset if we had an outing and they didn't put their, you know, that's when you notice your, your divots aren't being replaced and your ball marks aren't being fixed. But from a membership standpoint, they've always been really good about taking care of it. As far as cart traffic goes, I'd say more people walk. Um, but we have moved into a, a little younger uh, member movement as far as age goes to where, you know, they like to ride and have a good time. So, you know. It's interesting that you would think that should be the opposite way. Where younger members more walking, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it just doesn't fit them. <laughs> That's kind of ironic. <laughs> I think they, you know, they like to get out and have a good time. And they like to get around. And, and you know, especially, you know, we have like a Wednesday night men's league that likes to have fun. And so they like to get as much golf as they can in three hours. So, you know, it's, that's fun. 
No, I, I agree. You, late night trying to squeeze in holes. I think we've all enjoyed the the speed and that which a cart can get you around. Get, yeah, get for you sure, around. exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms that you just you've mentioned something about you do less outings than you used to do. Uh, was that like a conscious decision by the club or? Yeah, you know, I think we were just trying to keep it open for membership play. You know, it's uh, less wear and tear. And I, I personally, I feel that, I mean, if you're having six or eight or 10 outings in town from, you know, in town businesses that it's limits, maybe your membership just because they can come out and play 10 times, you know? So I feel like make it a little more exclusive, maybe creates a little better membership. It, it, and they would a lot of those happen on Mondays. Exactly. And that obviously limits what you can do correct from and it does take care it does take away from our maintenance because we are close till noon on mondays for maintenance so your members can play afternoon afternoon they can Uh uh-huh is that uh, is that always been the case or is that that has been okay yeah that's uh, and so but that whole given that half a day even without any play it's beautiful i mean you know that's when we top dress that's when we spray and that's getting ahead of the getting ahead of the crowd you know and mondays have gotten slower become slower just because of that we'll get people after three maybe but um you know they know that we're out there doing our thing mm-hmm. so they don't get out there too early on monday afternoon that's good that's <laughs> good so uh in terms of uh cedar rapids you know in ter- the trees obviously when you look at the before and after it's a very shocking change how did you get all the trees down and removed for low cost because I think that's obviously one of the big barriers is, is cost. It is. Uh, I had a really good assistant that wasn't afraid to cut down a tree, and his back was about four feet wide. But uh, we, you know, I, I contracted out a lot of stuff around the greens, but everything basically from tea to green, we did most of it in house. And so he was just got really good at it. And so, you know, we'd run a chipper. We were fortunate to have a company in town that. They were members that really helped us out through the whole process. Um, and so they, you know, they, they've always taken care of us on those type of things. And so we could run a chipper and we had the saws and we have a stump grubber from 1969. So it still runs. So, I mean, it's uh, amazing. They even had a stump grubber back in 1969 because all they did was plant trees. But anyway, um, it's, it was never that big of a deal. I don't think, I mean, we just, you could always see what the end product was going to be. So, we went after it and it was a lot, a lot of the trees were just planted over the years. And so they had no reason to even be planted where they were planted. It was an arborist that worked for the club that they would just bring in 200 trees every year. And he would just be told to go fill in spots. And so there was actually no rhyme or reason for doing it. You've taken out a ton of trees. There's still a ton of trees. I mean, you guys have so many great majestic oaks. It would be absolutely. And that's like the thing you're just, the the trees that are great trees are now more and more exposed, right? Oh, now they can mature properly. You know, it's I mean, the they never had any air, never any light to to really grow the way they were meant to grow. And so, uh, it was a they were all these trees were just planted in amongst all the beautiful oaks. You couldn't even see them before. That's the thing I think people get misconstrued so much is like when you talk about tree management, it's not just clear cutting all the trees. It's no, it's allowing the great 
trees that have matured and that are indigenous to the area to to show to shine you know i would agree 100 percent. i mean and that's what we did we were to specify which were which trees we needed to keep mm-hmm. i mean which were the highlighted trees and we'd, we'd keep those and then cut down the junk around them basically yeah it, it was there a, a moment when i, I mean you, you've been working here for a long time you're taking down trees and you uncovered something that you didn't even realize like were you shocked at how much the transformation changed the way you look at the golf course and property oh for sure i mean you vision it at first and i think really when we started and and finished one four and ten you saw kind of what you could really have but until maybe the last three years four years it's really shined and and you become so proud of what you never would have realized it. You I mean, open up those those great long views, and then the I mean, the the stars, that topography that you just don't you know see it at a lot of places. It's like kind of the unique trait uh, characteristic you got here is this unbelievable setting, and you know if it's not showing, you, you know. right? And I mean, I could tell you right now in two thousand five, two thousand four, I didn't take any pictures out here. I mean, now I can't go out here on a morning and not take a picture. I mean, it's like, it's just so beautiful. I mean, taking photos from every angle. And in the evenings, it's beautiful. You know, as the sun's going down, it's just, and you get so many great photos now. Yeah. I think, I imagine, I don't know, obviously you're not playing with the membership, but there is a much more sense of intimacy on the golf course as well. Like where you're kind of in amongst every, you know, like you're not cornered off all exactly. the time and also you can see what's going around you you can see who's out on the golf course and that's a it's a club it's, it's, it's a social well, I, you know gathering spot yeah i hear guys you know i'll hear guys from five green yelling at guys on nine coming up you know where are you at where do you stand you know it's it pre- creates a great game you know the conversation and, and you know before before it was just you know line up every fairway with trees and try to isolate every hole and it just created i don't know it's a whole different deal i wonder you probably could get some find some cool pictures of like i don't know i imagine a lot of people watch the club championship out here oh it's sure. like the club championship in 2004 uh like with the, all the carts and everybody out there watching versus like you know today yeah you know, oh, like, you know, like our member guests it's just crazy when you see all the carts everywhere and people flowing everywhere and it's you can get pictures from you know, the top of two or, you know, down on 3T and you can go all the way across to 5 and 14. You see people everywhere. Or mm-hmm. I can go outside our shop on 10 and take pictures across 13 and 18 and 15 and see just traffic everywhere. You know, I mean, it's so cool. It, it just exposes the scale of the place so it, much more, too, because you see people climbing these big hills right? exactly to these greens and and you see the the long view of how this landform just like flows into the green it's just that's the cool thing that tree removal does yeah. is it just and it opens it up and it creates i mean honestly i think it even creates different shots because of the wind you know that they never had to deal with before because now the trees are you know minimized so much that they don't have that issue with the shade and the and the cover of the tree you know agronomically obviously it had to make a big difference. oh unbelievable yeah it's you know what is there any green in particular that went from being essentially like a 
Oh. One is brutal to grow grass on that now is like one of your best ones. I'd say, you know, two, four, two, four, ten. Those were our worst greens. One, number one, 16. I mean, it, I mean, those greens were our worst greens. I, I remember them coming out of winter and they'd hold water, you know, water run over the top of them. I, it was, you know, they'd be, have all kinds of ice damage and water damage. Less so, ice damage now. A lot, lot less ice damage now. No water. Really, water doesn't sit on them anymore. I imagine that the weather swing here is one of the most severe, you know, yeah. in terms of heat and cold. And it's especially, you know, you know, we go from 60 degrees to, you know, last week we were below zero. So it's a, and especially with old bent paw greens like we have, you know, they, but they're old perennial type of bent or a paw. So, you know, the, the paw is adapted over the years to those, to that environment. So you've done a lot of expansions. How have you gone about grassing the greens? So they've, the expansions were basically just core them out. And then we just use plugs from the green to expand them out. Like the right side 13, we expand that out quite a bit. And so we just stripped it and added sand and then just threw cores in on the right hand side. So it was all the same grass. So like cores from the, from the existing green. Uh huh. Okay. From the airification. Exactly. And you just throw the plugs over there. Right over there. Just not, I hear a lot of people do that and grow a nursery from that. Yeah. You just threw it into the. I just dumped them right over there from that green. How, how long did that take to have? We did it in the fall and it was open that spring. And you sent the same grass. From same the, exact grass. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, you never know we even added on to it. It's so much better than buying bent grass and putting it into an old bent green. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should, I mean, we would always use cores. We did the same thing on five. We expanded that back left corner. We did the same thing with that. That's neat. Uh, so thanks thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for coming to Cedar Rapids. Oh, yeah. I mean, my pleasure. You know, it's not that coming, far from coming, Chicago. Hey, come in the summer next time. I'm going to. <laughs> I, you know, this is, uh, I got, I've got myself booked up a couple times on the road this way. So yeah, perfect. you might see me too much now. Awesome. You know, That'd that's be the great. problem. You're going to say, i got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> Hey, you're always welcome, Andy. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, and uh, people can find you on Twitter. They can. What's Absolutely. It, your handle at uh, Tom yeah. Feller. At CRCC Soup. CRCC Soup. I knew that. Yeah. I got to write that down you on gotta... my notes. <laughs> full, yeah, full. SUP. Are you on Instagram? You know, let's not get crazy. Yeah. Twitter's tough enough. <laughs> I, 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 you can pass less in, in knowledge on and information yeah. on and Instagram. It's more just pretty pictures. Exactly. You know, right. the, the Twitter's where the Twitter's where the good enough for me right are. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks so Enjoyed much. Enjoyed it. For Thank coming. you. Yep.